You are listening to the Next Best Picture Podcast, and this is our review of How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. This is Berk, son. It was the home of your grandparents and their grandparents before them. But out there, beyond the edge of the world, lies the home of the dragons. And I believe it's your destiny to one day find this hidden world. You do know my leg isn't a chew toy, don't you? Is this what you want? Yeah, go get it. Uh, how am I supposed to get down? Hey, bud, wait up. Well, I started out all alone. He's not the only one. is better, probably. There is an armada with enough cages for all of our dragons. This is a new kind of enemy. We need to find the hidden world. I will destroy everything you love. Toothless, no! You're nothing without your dragon. If Grimmel succeeds, there won't be any dragons left. And it's up to us to put an end to it. So, what are you gonna do about it? Suit up, gang. We have one shot at this. You brought a baby to a battle? I couldn't find a sitter. everyone you were just listening to the trailer for how to train your dragon the hidden world and the story is as follows what began as an unlikely friendship between an adolescent viking and a fearsome night fury dragon has become an epic adventure spanning their lives now chief and ruler of burke alongside astrid hiccup has created a gloriously chaotic dragon utopia when the sudden appearance of female light fury coincides with the darkest threat their village has ever faced hiccup and toothless must leave the only home they've known and journey to a hidden world thought only to exist in myth as their true destinies are revealed dragon and rider will fight together to the very ends of the earth to protect everything they've grown to treasure. The film is starring Jay Baruchel, America Fury, Kate Blanchett, Craig Ferguson, and F. Murray Abraham. It is written and directed by Dean DeBlaw. And joining me for this review, I have Cody Derricks. Hi. JC Aldridge. Hey, everybody. Dan Bayer. Hello, hello, hello. And also Tom O'Brien. Hello, everyone. Good morning. Good morning, all. This is crazy. Like, there's actually people on the podcast review of a movie. It's almost though as if people <laughs> like this series or something. I don't know. Crazy. <laughs> Who would have thought, you know, that How to Train Your Dragon would become what it has become, and it has inspired so many different uh, fans. Uh, because I remember when that first film came out, 
and it was just another DreamWorks animation film, I went in and expecting it to be, I guess, okay. And sure enough, I walked out and I was like, my God, the animation was stunning. The score was incredible. I really felt like I had kind of walked into, I don't want I, I, I was about to say a hidden world, but a whole new world. <laughs> and the character design was also uh, very inspiring. And I really felt attached to Hiccup and Toothless and a bunch of the other characters that were introduced in that first film. So I waited with great anticipation for the second one. Sure enough, a couple years later, we do get How to Train Your Dragon 2. It's also pretty darn fantastic. And now we come to the third film in what I guess probably is the final film. No! <laughs> oh, we said the same thing about Toy Story, so... That's true. Yeah, you never know. That is that is very true. Um, although this film, I think, does try to wrap up Hiccup's story arc that has started in the first film. So what I want to do first, before I reveal my thoughts and you guys reveal your thoughts about the third How to Train Your Dragon movie, The Hidden World, is I want to go around here. Cody, let's start off with you and just talk about what your relationship with this franchise has been like. Oh, I love this series. Similarly to you, Matt, I remember I went into the first one. It was like, I think I was at home for spring break and my friends were bored. So we just wanted to go see any movie. And then we came out of it and we were all kind of in agreement that, wow, that was actually really good. And the second one rolled around and the same group went to see it because we loved it the first time. And I remember liking it the first time I saw it, but on a recent rewatch just last week, I think the second one's my favorite one. Nice. And um, so I was like, I was excited for this one. I mean, it's like you said, Matt. I mean, it's consistent, beautiful animation. I think it's by far the best thing DreamWorks has ever done consistently. And it's kind of surprising in its gravitas. It's something that they don't, DreamWorks usually shies away from. Yeah, and I mean, like, you know, the that first film came out the year of Toy Story 3, and let, let's face it, there was nothing that was ever going to uh, defeat Toy Story 3 for the Oscar for animated feature. But... No, it, it, it's great that this film wasn't uh, able to slide into the background so much. A lot of people have seen them and a lot of people cherish them. JC, what about you? Uh, what has your relationship been like with the How to Train Your Dragon series? Oh, yeah. This series is like, this series to me is like kid version of Isle of Dogs. Like, I don't know if y'all remember when I saw that movie last year, but this movie is like that movie's OG, okay? Mm-hmm. When this movie came out nine years ago, oh, so long ago, I I already knew I was going to love it because I love dragons and I love puppies and cats. So it was like everything <laughs> I love all together. Plus, I remember specifically at this time I was in 10th grade and we were going over different types of mythology, including Norse mythology, And so I was trying to figure out a way to use this movie in a project I was doing in my class. (laughs) I did not succeed. However, I did really like this movie (laughs) the first time. I loved it. And I loved the second movie. I just think the the storylines in each film have been so consistent and they're never dragging. Like, I really have a hard time... um, deciding which film is my favorite of the three there's not really a clear sort of like this one is the best and the second one dropped I just really think the humor and the emotional pull is really strong in every film and that's a hard thing to do in an animated trilogy especially 
Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you on that. Uh, Dan Bear, same to you. Uh, what's been your, you know, relationship like with the How to Train Your Dragon series? Um, well, dragons are kind of my thing. Uh, <laughs> um, my family has its roots in Wales, and we all know the Welsh flag is a dragon. And ever since we visited Wales when I was in, like... I was like 10, 11, 12, um, that I've been obsessed with dragons. So when the first movie came out, it was like, you know, the first time I saw the trailer, like write the date down on my calendar, will be there opening night sort of thing. And it delivered beyond my wildest expectations. Um, I saw it twice in movie theaters because after the first time I decided I had to go back and see it in 3d. Um, and then I strangely with, um, the second movie somehow, like I didn't, I completely missed all trailers and news and signs that it was coming out until like maybe a month before it opened. So I knew like next to nothing about it and, um, but absolutely loved it. Um, I have watched the animated series based on the, uh, based on the movie. Oh my God. How is that? Oh my So there are like three of them, <laughs> which is kind of strange. Um, and if you like the, um, especially if you like the dragons of the movies, they're a lot of fun. Um, you get to see more of how they act and the relationships between the dragons and their humans, which is really fun. The animation is not very good. I mean, it's it's good for like the TV um, quality, I guess, but like it's not a patch on the movies, which is somewhat disappointing, but also not entirely surprising because obviously the movies are you know much bigger budget than the TV show, and they're just super duper stunning to look at, if nothing else. But there's a lot else. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so yeah, this has been like my favorite trilogy since, I mean, God, I don't even know how long. Um, and I like, you know, I have a little plush toothless and. Oh, me too. <laughs> I, do you have a pop vinyl? No, I don't have the pop vinyl. I prefer to, you know, hug and squeeze him. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Tom? Well, I don't have a plushie. I'm sorry, but but I do love the series. It's the I think it's second only to Toy Story in the quality of, of animated trilogies. It's remarkable. And I think there's two reasons for that. The first one is the writing. Unlike a lot of the uh, DreamWorks films that are overly jokey and all filled with pop references, this one takes its characters seriously. And it really shows all the way through. Uh, the relationships are deep, and they take the time to do, do that. So I found myself being far more invested in this series than most animated movies. And the second thing is, of course, the look. If, you, if your visual consultant is Roger Deakins, you're going to have a good, good, good uh, base to work from. And I, unlike most 3D movies, I, I, I was just stunned by how 
uh, Dean Dubois uses 3D. It's I would rank it up there with uh, Life of Pi and Avatar in terms of how he uses space and dimension. It, it, it's just, it's kind of breathtaking. I didn't see this one in 3D, but it works really well on 2D too. Uh, and it's, uh, it's certainly, uh, th there's a depth to the animation that I haven't found very often in very many other animated films. I will admit, gorgeously animated, definitely well scored. Uh, the Like I said before, character design is definitely up there as well as the dragon design and everything else just from a aesthetic standpoint. However, <sighs> no, yeah, no, I'm sorry. Not. Stop it. Yeah, no. uh, this was the worst one of the three for me. Oh, and well, I'm not saying I'm not. Listen, 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 listen. Before you guys start, you know, carving my eyes out, <laughs> I'm not saying that this is a bad movie. Um, as, let me put it to you this way. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna get it all out there, out in the open, right away, and we'll start off here. I think the final minutes of this movie are absolutely perfect. I think that the film's villain is extremely weak. And I think that the characterization and just trying to juggle all these different side characters throughout the movie is also very weak. But the film does complete Hiccup's story arc of really coming into his own as a leader for his people. And I appreciated that. But this film has too many flaws for me to give it the most solid, oh my God, I absolutely loved it, recommendation. I don't think that's that controversial of an opinion. I, I think no. it's solidly the worst of the trilogy, but it's still, I would say, a good movie. I completely agree about the villain not being great, and I think it goes on a little too long, but the epilogue really is what makes the movie. That's what, we came, to, that's what we came to see, right? Yeah, <laughs> it makes the whole thing worth it. I disagree. I think that this movie, to me is on par with the first one like I think that this movie is as good I wouldn't say better but definitely as good as the first movie in terms of the way it made me feel throughout the film that's how it made me feel in the first film as well and I I guess if I was if I really went in and, and did a comparison to the villains from each movie then I might find that Grimmel was the you know, the worst of them, but just in terms of the way this trilogy makes me feel from film to film, I would definitely say the third one and the first one are on par, whereas the second one kind of dips a little for me. Anybody want to come out and defend the second one as their favorite? <laughs> my favorite, so. <laughs> I wouldn't say that the second one is my favorite, but I think that the level of quality of all three of these movies is ridiculously consistent. Wait, are you talking about from a storytelling standpoint or are you talking about from a pure aesthetic standpoint? I'm talking about in terms of everything. Mm, okay. Um, it, it just like the animation of course, like is has always been gorgeous. I mean, like Tom said, when you have Roger Deakins, there's not, you're going to look fantastic. That's just how it is. Um, but I, I think, what, I think this movie does kind of fall down on the villain a little bit, but I also like, 
didn't think the villain in two was all that great either. I think two also had some story problems. Both of them had story problems basically that I think the first one didn't. Yeah. However, um, the, the emotional resonance of both the second and third films, I, I wasn't expecting either of them to hit me emotionally the way that they did. Um, and I think the second particularly is surprisingly adult in mm-hmm. its themes and story in a way that just like is shocking because it's very clearly like a kid's movie, but it's talking about things that are so, I mean, there's just no other world for it. Like mature adult and that sort of thing. Like, you know, I, but I think that's something that the entire franchise has done so well, not just in terms yeah. of it being like tonally, not explicitly, you know, DreamWorks, unfortunately, mm-hmm. but it's always kind of wrestled with themes of responsibility and um, yeah. who is actually your enemy and, you know, not stereotyping. Those are all really adult things. And I, I think it's just gotten more and more mature as the series has go, gone on. Yeah. Not to say that means it's an improvement in quality, but it's just interesting that DreamWorks is willing to do that. Well, I, and I think those are the moments, too, where uh, the trilogy has excelled um, in this one. And I felt this in the other films as well. But in this one, especially uh, the theme of just letting go mm-hmm. is something that for me, from an emotional resonance standpoint, I think that's why the final few minutes of the film really, really stuck the landing for me. And to be honest, in my case, kind of saved the movie for me uh, because it really did not just kind of tie around uh, the story arc of Hiccup with the relationship with his father and also with his mother, but now coming around to his relationship with Toothless, someone that's been by his side since the beginning. And it's just all about this person who is relying on others for strength, learning to let go and find their own inner strength. And that was something that... Yep. Yeah, if I'm if I'm a kid and I'm watching this, like maybe I'm not getting it as much as I'm getting it now. But holy hell, is that a great moral lesson to teach your kids? And you know, the the stronger he became within himself, the more his beard grew. <laughs> I have to admit, the stubble uh, throughout this third film was co- I was constantly looking at it every close up. I was like, look at that stubble. <laughs> I was like, fully bearded hiccup is shockingly hot. (laughs) (laughs) Flynn Rider. I know. I was watching that. I was like, I know Twitter's going to be thirsting after this bearded hiccup. My God. I'm not ready for this. (laughs) Play pay for the 3D. (laughs) That's funny. Um, I will, I will say like, I, I think that the, of the three movies, like there's give and take between all the quality levels of the three movies in slight in small ways. I think that the th- the first one has it feels the most like a kids movie out of the three. Yeah. Um. The it, first one. Yeah, the first one. Oh. Um. And the second one, I think, feels more adult. I'm thinking particularly in the storyline with um Hiccup's mother and father. I just like was not expecting. Th- that story at all in that movie and it's really ridiculously touching um but i think the my problem is to the extent that i have any problem with the third one i think it's that the plot kind of just happens 
Um, yeah. So you mean like what's okay? I, decision. Well, this is this is something I want to go back to actually because this is where I. You know what, Dan? I'm glad you brought this up actually because. I want to bring it back to uh, what's what's this guy's name? F. Murray Abraham's character, Grimmel. Um, who is commissioning Grimmel to hunt down Toothless? The other Vikings. The 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 other trappers. And why? See, this is what this is my biggest issue. I'm asking you guys because, to be honest, when I was watching the movie, it was very unclear to me. Yeah, I just saw this last night, and I really could not tell you definitively. Yeah. it yeah. almost seemed to me like this was the story that the storytellers didn't care about, and they wanted like those those emotionally resonant moments of reasons why we love this series, those um, adult themes that we're talking about. It, it, they, it's like they wanted to really focus on those, but it's like, oh, but we gotta tell this other story instead of the opposition and so on and so forth and it's like to me that the balance just wasn't quite there that's true it does kind of feel like Grimmel's character had a uh, dc flaw of us just being introduced to him in this movie without any source of like origin like they never spoke about him in the previous films at all which you'd kind of think if he's like the world's most notorious dragon killer he would have been brought up, but they just kind of threw him into the mix, acting like he's kind of the biggest player of all the games, but he is not, and he he lost the games. <laughs> yeah, I never, and, got, I never got a sense of threat from him. Right. That That's the thing. Like, he sort of comes in with all this, you know, phoned-in backstory of how he's the most notorious feared dragon hunter killer of night furies and i mean they they try <laughs> to you know in the first few times that he and hiccup meet to you know to give the feeling that like oh you know you're never going to beat him somehow but i never once really felt that he was that much of a threat. Yeah. yeah they, they give him a lot of, uh, you know, uh, George Sanders kind of lines of being snarky mm. and fun. Yeah. It's like, give F. Murray Abraham some meaty material he can, you know, chew on. Right. Um, but but it, it, the, the big scene early on with when, they, when he first meets Hiccup, uh, it just goes on and on. And, and mm. after that, he basically disappears. So, you know, I kind of, didn't really pay much attention to his storyline. Was much more invested in what was going on with Hiccup and Toothless. It is kind of strange that they. You're right, Tom. They give such monologues to this character whose entire motivation just boils down to he likes hunting dragons. And if they had made it a simple thing like that, you know, a very low, um, reasonable, a very low reasoned motive. Then I could get on board with it a little more, but it's because they spend so much time with him, you know, talking back and forth about what he wants to do. It's I wish they kind of just simplified it. Although his freaking dragons are terrifying, and I would not they ever are. want somebody to like vomit acid fire on me ever. That oh please, awful. it's a cartoon. <laughs> Quit being really babies, like, you two. <laughs> There's nothing terrifying about a. I was about to say Disney, but DreamWorks animation cartoon dragon. (laughs) Come on now. Those dragons are terrifying. I'm going to show up at your house in that, like, that clawed (laughs) crab 
vomit acid dragon costume and we'll see how you feel in your they bed at those night. pointy tails they're bad they're scary i know they're like scorpion dragons one last yeah. thing about grimmel that i'll say um and this is a complete this is nothing to do with criticism of this is not a professional comment this is just me just my brain when i watched him on screen my brain made a connection to another animated character did anybody else get hunchback notre dame frollo vibe Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my god, it's that's exactly what it was. It's the hair. Design-wise, yeah. He's Yo. Though this. <laughs> I'm so glad I wasn't alone on this. <laughs> nope, you're not. <laughs> oh man. I'm wondering what other animated villain he reminded me of and left kind of thinking, well, maybe it's just all of them. But no, you're exactly right. He's Frollo. Uh, and I'll make another obscure reference that I think only JC will understand here. Um, Flaming Sword, Azora High. Hiccup is... Uh... Oh, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, I forgot, Dan, you're, you're also into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, you are the Dragon Queen, so, I mean, it does make sense. Dan's <laughs> the Dragon Queen? Uh, well, I don't know. He was he made he made a more compelling case no, earlier. I, I love it. <laughs> In any event, though, um, another thing I also want to just comment on here, because um, I know we've given a lot of uh, flack to the villain and all of that, but the moments that this film does get right uh, from a storytelling standpoint, um, another movie that this reminded me of that I saw uh, obviously recently was uh, Thor Ragnarok in how the message that um, Asgard is not a place, Asgard is its people, and that's what uh, Burke was like here uh, for the characters in this movie. And so I drew that connection a couple of times, and I I like that message. I like that the film uh, really uses that as an example to showcase Hiccup's maturity and his uh, style of leadership. And I love that also he is a character who is always, he's not a fighter. Even when he does fight with his flaming sword, uh, you never see him actually like cut down a villain or anything like that. I get it. It's a, it's a cartoon, right? But he's always looking for a peaceful solution to everything as opposed to let's take our strength and lead with that, which is something that, you know, his father probably would have done or another generation before him. Um, I really, really love all of those qualities in this character, and they really do shine through here. Yeah, you know, um, the whole idea of kind of home is where the heart is, I feel like is definitely one of those one of those themes that, you know, kids especially can take to heart. <laughs> I mean, I know like when I was seeing um, these movies, especially if I had seen this one when I was younger, it would have really resonated with me being somebody who has moved so many times and you can kind of struggle to feel like where your hometown is or where your like that house, you know, that you've grown up in your whole life. If you don't have that, does that mean you're missing something? And so I think that message in this film is really important to those kids who are sort of transients and moving along for them to know that, you know, their character and and who they are as a person isn't about where they live at the time. And that Um, also ties, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Um, That also ties into the theme of letting go. You know, he has Mm -hmm. to, spoiler, let go of Toothless at the end, just like they had to let go of their physical home of Berg. But that doesn't mean that, um, anything in their relation to either the place or that character has changed. Right. Yeah. 
I love that we're 25 minutes in and we haven't uh, mentioned not once Light Fury. Uh, I love, I mean, like, first of all, Toothless is such a freaking tremendous piece of character animation that the, like, the idea that now, I can't believe it's the like mating. The first, a female one. Oh. But yes, the mating scenes <laughs> are so freaking funny. Oh, I could have watched a half hour of that. It was a light time. Same. And with no dialogue. Yeah. I know. It's beautiful. The dance moves. Whoever, I don't know if that was like Jay Baruchel, if he was just kind of given like just leeway to do whatever. Oh, no. No, wait. He doesn't even play Toothless. What am I thinking? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that would probably all be the director and the um, animators, which is, you know, it's something you can't do in any other medium that's using animation for its full potential. It reminded me a lot of another uh, film that uh, had two characters that weren't able to really utilize dialogue, and that was Mm -hmm. Um, Mm Wally. So watching those two characters um, slowly start to come together and mate, and I, I, you know, I I really, there's kind of a universal attraction to that in that it's so pure. Yeah. Okay, wait. But I will say, when you say pure, though, Matt, yeah, sometimes Light Fury's little like purrs sounded a lot like uh, a, a a lady purring when she's real happy after something has just happened. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, no. Sometimes I felt like they just put in a real little moan there. And they just called it a day. <laughs> wow. I do not like this. <laughs> How to Train Your Dragon, the X-rated version. Oh, well, in any, in any event, moving on. Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry. Y'all will hear it now. Thanks, Stacey. <laughs> the flaming sword has now become a phallic symbol, and there's, hid, there's <laughs> hidden meetings all throughout How to Train Your Dragon. For how it's all just about dragon fucking. Oh my god. It is too early for this. It's a nice I'm sorry. <laughs> People are going to be like, I was listening to the Next Best Picture podcast hoping for a film review and they're talking about dragon fucking. <laughs> hey, we all know what they oh. were doing down there in the hidden world, okay? I mean, yeah. Look how many dragons there were. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Woo. Gather. Must steer the ship. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Woo. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yes, I really, really liked uh, this new character. I liked that uh, she was a little apprehensive at first. Um, it was not it wasn't like instant attraction between the two characters. And I also just love how much Toothless was a complete and utter slobbering puppy dog over her. <laughs> Well, I also, you know, something I really, I really loved about her character is that she taught him about things of their breed that he didn't know before. You know, she, she was teaching him kind of how to come into his own as well. Um, And she's sort of the reflection of Astrid in that way. And that she was teaching him too, that he didn't need tooth or he didn't need hiccup. Um, to become his fullest potential of a dragon and like how she taught him that like awesome like fly through your own fire cough thing and Mm. that was so cool and I really liked that about her you know like she let him be his own but just both of the storylines between the light fury and 
Toothless and Astrid and Hiccup were very um, comparable. And and I thought it was just really great storytelling. I'm going to be a little nitpicky here. And I will say that I do kind of wish Astrid had more to do than being just a supportive, uh, you know, companion to Hiccup. I will say that she gets way more to do in this than she has in the first two. I think she they kind of struggle with her characterization early on, where she's just kind of this tomboy who has this, you know, will they, won't they connection with Hiccup. And I, I like that she had a little bit more agency in this, but mm-hmm. I agree. It's not, you know, it's not completely really? flushed out. I don't know. She's beautifully drawn. And uh, that that affection that she has with, with uh, Toothless is just so sweet. But I noticed when you look very closely at how she's drawn, there's kind of a glistening, shining quality to um, you know, her coat and it just drew me in and I can see why it's like, okay, Toothless has finally found someone he deserves. Oh yeah. I, I mean, also too, I mean, let, let's not, you know, sugarcoat the fact that one of the big, big, big story arcs of this movie is, um, this idea of the, will these two characters get married or not? And mm-hmm. I don't know exactly how old they're supposed to be necessarily. I'd say they're like 17. Yeah, yeah, I got like late high school, early college, early twenties. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, that that makes more sense then. But you know, I I disagree with y'all. I think that her character did exactly what it was meant to do in this film, and and I think that you know, yeah, we're all about like the obviously, especially like I freaking love when there's a movie where the woman's like, ah, I'm awesome and in charge. But I also do think that there is a place. I mean, when you think about relationships, this movie was very much about the the power of a relationship and a team. And just like the flashbacks between um, Hiccup and his father mm-hmm. talking about that, you know, woman and being in his life, being the only person for him. I think it kind of, and you have to remember that this is like set in a Norse mythology type of thing. So obviously it's not going to end up with like, they already had the, the woman in charge storyline in the second movie with Hiccup's mom. Um, And I think that this film really kind of brought us back to what it means to have a partnership between two people that is equal and I think even though maybe like it may not seem like she to me I felt like they were definitely equals and and they had a sense of maturity that kind of went above and beyond the like lovey-dovey thing they really did understand who the other person was and they accepted that person for every part of them and and I think that's something to be said for, because you don't really see a focus on that in most animated films. So I really liked that. Hmm. Yeah, I'm going to second everything that JC said and be like, I really loved the relationship between Astrid and Valka, um, Hmm. Hiccup's mom, and this, because (laughs) Valka was sort of imparting to Astrid, like, this is how you be a wife, chiefess, queen, whatever, but also, like, it's the power behind the throne sort of idea. Mm-hmm. And it, yes, a lot of it, you can argue that like she was just there to build Hiccup up and blah, blah, blah. But it was really about her being the only person because of her connection with Hiccup who had the power to 
get him to do what he should be doing. Mm-hmm. And it's that mixture of his instinct and her ability to act and get others to act that makes them such a great pairing. And and so I don't think it's quite as simple, I guess, as she was only there to build up his character. I guess I also just don't like the fact that this movie never seemed to put so much of a strain on that relationship. Like, it's pretty set from the beginning that they are together and that they're going to stay together. And that bond, that relationship is never, in my opinion really tested that much in this movie it it almost made the stakes um and and i credit this back to once again the opposition i credit this back to the lack of a uh strong uh villain and uh, like honestly just any stakes or real exciting conflict um external conflict i think the internal conflict is uh fascinating and interesting for hiccup but there was never anything that was introduced in this movie that ever made me doubt or question or you know something that could have made this stronger in its third act because of what they had to overcome. You know what I mean? I, I don't really think that that was, I don't, I don't really think that we needed to see, especially between Astrid and Hiccup, some type of mm. clash. Well, but like, for example, those- though, I, I never really got the sense in this movie that Hiccup had truly failed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like failed his people, failed Astrid, failed Toothless. I never got the sense that the opposition was so, so great against him mm-hmm. that he had to then dig deep, you know, and find that strength to overcome everything. The film suggests that that is what happens, but I as an audience member never felt that. I think that's because the film, where the film's interests lie is sort of not the story points that we have been conditioned to expect from movies. I mean, the connection here is not the romantic connection between T- Hiccup and Astrid. It the the conflict is in between Hiccup and Astrid versus Hiccup and Toothless. It's Hiccup trying to choose between Toothless and what's best for his people as a whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can um, totally see that they wanted the movie to end with them letting go of each other mm-hmm. um, because that's a nice sentimental conclusion. And so the way they had to get there was probably working backwards, um, which I think is maybe why the villain and the relationship weren't um, totally fine tuned. But I also don't think it super takes away from the movie in general. That's fair. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Who um who is everyone's MVP of voice acting in this movie? Kristen oh. Wiig. <laughs> yes, so she was so good. <laughs> that scene where she's just talking in the cell Wait, over and over. Harrington play. Harrington is Harriet. Oh, I love man. Uh, I love Kim. Um, I want to give a shout out to the guy doing the TJ Miller impression because he was apparently not brought back for this movie to play the twin. Oh, really? Of, uh, yeah. Yeah. I know it's it because, really yeah, he wasn't in the opening like part of the credits where everybody gets an individualized um, voice acting mm-hmm. uh, notice. And then in the scroll, it's a completely different name. Justin Rupel. Dang. Yeah, he did great then. Yes. Yeah, you never know. Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed. And uh, Craig Ferguson has done an amazing job as uh, Gobber. Gobber. Gobber, yeah. So much. Yeah. 
Oh yeah. Um, he's he's good. I think the character is kind of annoying, and that's oh yeah, another problem with the franchise as a whole. I think any comedic character is written like so so irritatingly. The you know the whole gang of sidekicks, especially the two guys voiced by Jonah Hill and um, previously T.J. Miller, are just insufferable to me and it's to the point where i'm like why do we keep them around because they're bumbling it's not like they're even good at their job but yet they're the front line on dragon defense i really don't get it (laughs) i guess that's the dreamworks kids writing coming in so i also have a very very hard time separating kid harrington uh from like i just hear Jon snow coming out of the arids Kristen Wiig's the only one doing like a voice yeah but he also just kind of speaking no Kristen Wiig might actually for this uh movie in particular and I know that she's voiced her in the other films but she might crack my uh MVP film lineup for voice acting this year maybe yes maybe I've sort of been waiting for her for that character to get a showcase that I thought she deserved. Um, so when she turns out to get like <laughs> that whole big scene in the oh middle, my I was screaming. <laughs> I was so happy. That was a great monologue. Oh, <laughs> it was yeah, fantastic. Was hilarious. <laughs> Hysterical. Uh, any, so uh, we're at a point now where we're going to come to, I think, uh, final thoughts. So anything that we did not touch upon that you want to touch upon, uh, Tom, I want to start off with you. Anything about the uh, hidden world that you want to talk about? I really think that the uh, I, I like the, I mean we, we're we're now kind of dissing all of the the subordinate characters, but they take the time in this to really flesh many many characters out, and some of them are irritating, but it's it, it's a tribute to the care that Dean Dubois brings to uh, the the storyline, and I'm really happy to see that this uh, trilogy ends on a very satisfying note. And if they don't go with a four, that's fine with me. Okay. All right. Uh, JC? Yeah, I um, I just, I love this animated trilogy very dearly. I, I struggle even thinking about an animated film. I know there's a ton of Disney movies I'm probably not thinking of, but I struggle to think about three animated films in a row that have made me laugh so hard and cry and everyone um toy story is great i'm not hating on toy story but i don't think toy story has ever really resonated with me the way that other movies have and i think that's partially just because i'm a sucker for like animal themed animated movies over like toy themed i always had stuffed animals growing up i didn't have like toys like toy story but anyways i digress So because of that, I think that like these three movies just encompass everything I love about film. And I think that it's important to note, too, that Jay Baruchel is an incredible hiccup. And he has played this character's arc really well through all three movies. I mean, there's several other people I think could play hiccup, but I've been really impressed with his performance as hiccup in every film. And... Yeah, I just think that it's such a sweet series um, that I love a lot, and that's all I'm going to say about it. Okay. Uh, Dan? Um, I <laughs> I love this movie so much. Um, I love this trilogy so much. Um, I think it's my favorite animated trilogy 
um, for just how consistent it is, and also because Toy Story is no longer a trilogy. Um, <laughs> I, I think, you know, what I particularly loved about this one, um, the, my biggest problem with the, the second and third movies is that in the first movie, Toothless and the dragons in general are very much cat-like in terms of their personality. And then the second and third, that kind of changes to them being more like dogs. Um, but what I particularly loved about this movie is how it reinforces the bond between just any pet and its owner and how it's it's a mutual love and respect. Um, and just like... Uh, it, the relationship between Hiccup and Toothless is so well drawn and written and um, conveyed through the acting that I I connect to it even though I have never had a cat or dog because while I like them, my body does not. Um, and I just like, I, you know, it makes me want a pet dragon even more than I did before. Um, <laughs> I will I will personally deliver a dragon to your doorstep, Dan. Oh, I will find one for you. I will find one in the hidden world. Oh, I wonder like the 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 animation in this like it's been consistently high throughout the three movies, but the animation of the hidden world itself may be my favorite setting in any of the three movies. I think it's absolutely absolutely oh, yeah. gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know what? Can I just say really quickly how much I loved that, you know, how much I love that they, no matter what happened in this film, they always um, let you know that Toothless will always come back to protect Hiccup, no Mm. matter what, even when he's, it doesn't matter the circumstance. I don't want to get into what happens in the hidden world or outside of the hidden world, but... Well, that goes back to what Dan was saying about, like, uh, you know, the dog qualities of, like, loyalty. Yeah, definitely. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And just one more thing. I also, like, (laughs) I really respect how the movie looked in the beginning like it was going to do a whole political allegory thing, but then didn't. I'm not sure I know what you mean. A toothless... Like a refugee kind of thing? Hiccup gives a speech near the beginning, like, about how they need how about them living peacefully with the dragons oh i see different races and animals and all that sort of thing and after just dropping that great speech the movie sort of said but that's not the real point of this movie and i really appreciated that because i feel like a lot of kids movies try to do that sort of thing and it's like that's almost become a bit of a cliche and something that's expected now see like that's something i didn't even think of and now that you're bringing it up i'm almost looking at it now as another flaw as something that could have made this more deep and rich and they didn't fully go there with it (laughs) see no i was actually glad that they didn't because like i i don't go to these to how to train your dragon movies for symbolism about you know the state of the world in 2019. I mean, but that's kind of been a theme. That's kind of been a theme for the entire series, though. Is you know, 
not being scared of people who are different, uh, not people, but not being scared of differences yeah. and yeah. embracing, you know, coming together. So I think that's kind of been inherent the whole series. And every time, you know, they run to somebody who disagrees about how humans and dragons should live together, it's kind of counteracting that and uh, just strengthening the theme. Hmm. Uh, okay. Uh, Cody? Um, I, I feel like I've been kind of hard on this movie in this review. I want to say that's only because I love the first two so much. You know, I'm hard on you because I love you. <laughs> the first two are so, so well done. Especially, I keep saying especially for DreamWorks, but I mean, truly, especially for DreamWorks. This one is, it, it's a very good movie. It just doesn't live up to the first two, in my opinion. The animation is gorgeous, like we said. The voice acting is pretty consistently good. Um, the story I found interesting, and I I always appreciate everything that they do animation-wise with Toothless. Um, that's always literal. I mean, I'm always laughing watching him, or I'm just overjoyed. Um, my biggest problem with the movie, though, is the frickin' title. Why did they drop the numerology of the second one and give it a <laughs> subtitle? That just bugs me. It's so annoying. Yeah. Call it the third one. Like, what's the problem? It's the last one in the trilogy. Calling it the third one is not going to, you know, make it lesser than. I don't, I Focus really groups and marketing determined that this would yield higher box office results. I don't know. Stupid. Toy Story 3 <laughs> made billion dollars. I don't know. You're right. That is a little bit of a pet peeve, but it, it's... It's not that important. I know. I know. I'm being facetious, but it did bug me. <laughs> uh, I've talked about everything that I wanted to talk about in this uh, review. I do echo what Cody says, though, in that I, I, I do give it a recommendation. It's just not as strong of a recommendation as I would give the first two films. I'll start off with numbers here. Um, in, my, in my head, it's a 6 out of 10, but there is a degree of sentimentality that is pushing it to a seven for me. So um, I will stick with a solid seven out of 10. Matt, can I jump in? Because that's my exact same sentiment. It was sitting at a six, the entire movie. And then that final 10 minutes made it a seven. Yeah, exactly. That was, that was a full point, you know, boost right there for sure. So Dan, I am, Fine, I'm just going to do it. I'm at a 9. Ooh, okay. I like probably an 8.5, but I can't help the love in my heart. I was crying by the end, and I, for every, you know, sort of flaw the movie has, it did not affect my experience of watching it in the slightest. So, yeah, I'm going 9. Can we say just for comparison what we give the first two, just to see where we all kind of line it up? I give the first two both eights. The first one for me is a ten. The second is probably about a nine. Uh, first one for me is a nine. Second one is an eight. JC, uh, I guess you can complete this. Uh, for grades for the first two and grade for the third one. Yeah, okay. So my first one is a ten. Um, bye. And my second one <laughs> yeah. is an eight. And my third one is a ten. Bye. What? Yikes. Man, I've never felt We're in trouble. so personally attacked <laughs> in my life. <laughs> hey, you do enough of these podcast reviews, you run into some conflict at some point, that's for sure. Oh, I'm happy. Tom? <laughs> uh, well, you know, I'm a tough marker, but I, I got to say I was knocked out by the first one. I gave it a nine. The second one, the second one to me is sort of like the Prisoner of Azkaban in the uh, the Harry Potter universe. It's dark. 
it's adult, and I really responded to that. And I gave that an eight. I'll give this a seven, possibly because of the villain. And there are there were times when the film meandered a little bit for me, but nonetheless, that uh, the ending and the epilogue is killer. So seven. Yeah, I'll I'll probably you know cut out that epilogue and I'll watch that and rewatch that over and over and over again probably until the end of time because that. Oh, I don't know what it is with animation trilogy closers, but damn, <laughs> they just know how to end them. So, with that said, uh, last point of discussion: Oscar nomination, best animated feature. Yep, I it better. Um, I I have to say that I know that Oscars, you know, no person or movie needs to have an Oscar to you know show its worth or quality or anything like that. But it is the, like one of the largest tragedies of my life in terms of movies that this series is going to, you know, stop and be Oscar less. Yeah. Um, I, I think that it was, it, it really like, it was always going to lose the Oscar for animated feature for the first one to toy story three. And, you know, even in my own personal lineup, it places a very close second to toy story three, but I think it was full out robbed of the Oscar for the second one. Oh yeah. There's no reason it should have lost a big hero six besides Disney recognition. Yeah. It, I completely agree with that. I actually. Much I like the hero six, but I mean, there's just no comparison. Yeah, yeah. No. And this one is coming out in the year of Frozen Two and um, Toy Story. Yeah, Toy Four. Story Four and The Lion King. If they consider it animated, the li- at the end. And oh yeah. I just yeah. Yeah, I mean, also too February release. It's the earliest release of the trilogy. Uh, the first one was released in March, but it had the benefit of being fresh, new, exciting, and rounding out um, an animated field. Second one released in June, and as we all know, uh, it was kind of a staple at that point. This third film, I know it's being positively received so far, but the fact that it's being released so early in the year, and it's kind of had, it, it, for me at least, it kind of has a been there, done that kind of a feeling. If the year is strong, I could see a world where it misses. Don't even say such things, Matt. I'm just saying I could see it. I'm not I'm not predicting it for now. Right now it's definitely in my predictions. I'm just saying that as the year moves on and it develops and evolves, I could see it. I, I think you're right, Matt. It, it's a long time until next February. No, it's true. You're absolutely right. I just with, don't like to think these things. <laughs> with Andrew, though, it doesn't always necessarily matter when it came out yeah. because there's a finite number of movies that can be nominated, you know? I mean, like Isle of Dogs, sure. also March, Zootopia, which one was early mm-hmm. March. February. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I totally get that. It depends on how strong the year is. If, if it's another weak year like last year was where we were struggling to even come up with five nominees, mm. uh, then, yeah, it, it'll be in. Uh, because we all know Lego Movie is not going to get nominated. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, and we all know that other than Frozen 2 and Toy Story 4, I mean, I'm sure there are others. I just can't think of them right now. Those are the big ones. You know, I'm, I'm, it's not a lock. I, 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 I am hesitant to say that it's a lock, but it is a contender. So I, I also, you know, oh, the score, my God, that freaking score is so, so good. 
by John Powell, and it got an Oscar nomination for the first film. No yeah. love since then. So I don't anticipate that um, this will show up in any other categories other than animated feature if it does. Mm. I would agree. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, with all that out of the way, Cody, where can they find you on the internet? You can follow me everywhere, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Letterboxd at CodyMonster91, and check out my horror movie podcast, Halloweeners. You can follow us at Pod. Dan Bear. You can find me on Twitter at DancingDan on film. JC Aldridge. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at JC Aldridge. And Tom O'Brien. You can find me on Twitter at Thomas E. O'Brien, and you can see my reviews at exactchangetoday.com. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our podcast review of How to Train Your Dragon 3. Sorry, How to Train Your Dragon The Hidden World. <laughs> I know. You can subscribe to the Next Best Picture podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, and also on CastBox. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback as well as your support, which you can provide if you head on over to our Patreon page for $1 minimum a month. You can get some exclusive podcast content from all of us. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time. 